Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Exodus chapter 32 and then Numbers 20. I do feel something strong from the Lord. I was praying here this morning early and I hope to unpack this burden here today. But I feel like the Lord has spoke to me and I hope that you receive it. I stand here as a messenger. I stand here as a humble preacher of the gospel, sometimes feel inadequate to convey what the Lord drops into my heart, but I hope in some way to preach what thus saith the word of the Lord today. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain, the two tables of the testimony were in his hand and the tables were written on on both their sides on the one side and on the other side were they written and the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the ta- tables and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted he said unto Moses there is a noise of war in the camp And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tablets of the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And it came to pass as soon as he had came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it in the powder strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And then let's go, if you would, into the word of the Lord to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10. Charles Dickens once made the statement, he said, a man can change his end if he will change his present. I'm telling you, 
there is the ability for people to change if they can see themselves in the word of the Lord. I don't ever want to get to the place that I cannot be sensitive to uh, the touch of God, the word of God as it is preached. I want to be able to hear it and respond to it. Amen. Numbers chapter number 20 and verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must ye fetch you water? Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. And in this particular setting of Scripture, this is the second of its kind that I've read to you from in the Word of the Lord concerning Moses, two very emotional moments in Moses' life. And uh, I want to use this as an example. And I realize that Moses, according to the word of the Lord, was the meekest man on earth. According to the word of the Lord, a great leader, man of God, a man that still had to contend with his flesh, but nevertheless a great man of God. And I want to speak from this subject this morning, the danger of trafficking between two worlds. The danger of trafficking between two worlds. And um, we are living in a time where people are very concerned about the outbreak of Ebola. And uh, matter of fact, there is those that are calling for there to be no more travel between West Africa and America so as not to spread this very deadly virus. But I'm going to tell you, a greater threat is what I'm going to speak about here today, the danger of trafficking between two worlds. Let's pray together that the Lord would help us. We do need the help of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, the touch of God in this place. And I ask you to pray with me right now. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing. I'm asking God for your touch and your strength and your blessing to be upon the remainder of this service. We need you. We need you, God, to speak to us today. We need the help of heaven. We pray, O Lord, that you would anoint, you would bless, and you would have your way in this house. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, And would you love and praise him right now? I thank you, Savior. I worship you, O God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The danger of trafficking between two worlds. Moses, as I've already stated, a great man of God, one of those towering characters of the Old Testament, a man that is revered, looked up to, and a man that had a special grasp on the things of God, and the Lord revealed to him things that he had never revealed to another man. Moses was granted the special privilege and invitation 
from the Lord that no one else was afforded. He received this special invitation to go up into the mountain to visit with God. And God wanted to show him things about himself. He also wanted to reveal things as how to direct and how to lead his people. This is a nation that was really in formation. A nation that was coming out of Egypt was typical of sin. They were learning how to worship God. They were learning the practices and all of the regiments of how to live for God. The law was going to be given to Moses at this time. But not only that, all of the intricate details of the Old Testament tabernacle, which would lead to the Old Testament temple, and also the order of the priesthood was all given to Moses during this time. And some even believe that since Moses is the writer of the first five books of the Bible, that perhaps even in this 40-day period of Moses being up at the top of the mountain with God, that it was there that the Lord revealed to him all of the things pertaining to the creation of the earth, the book of Genesis, and he was able to write that and record that. And uh, he gives it to us in detail. So you can only imagine the impact and the significance of Moses being apart with God during this time and quite a lot that God would reveal to him. Nobody up until this point And really, I don't find anybody throughout the Scripture that received any more. Only one that could probably rival it would be John the Revelator. And we know that also the Apostle Paul was revealed certain things about the glory world. But Moses, I I think, received, as far as the amount of revelation, probably received more than anybody else. Nobody had experienced anything comparable to this. Moses was in heavenly places. He was able to hear directly from God. And what a glorious experience that it must have been. However, this experience was followed by probably one of the lowest moments of Moses' entire life. For after he descended from this mountain, after being 40 days with the Lord, as he was descending... At some point, he met up with Joshua, and uh, Joshua and he was making their descent from the mountain, and they began to hear a ruckus from the camp of Israel, and they hear the noise of people, and at first, they cannot distinguish what this noise is. Has there been some kind of surprise attack? Is there war that is going on? Yet as they draw a little closer, they realize that this is not the sound of mastery. This is not the sound of of, uh, the people of Israel overcoming their enemy. Neither is it the sound of Israel being overcame by their enemy. But they are hearing, uh, dancing, and singing. And as they draw closer and Moses' eyes fall upon the camp of Israel for the first time, He is so troubled to see that these people that he loves, these people that he cares so much about, these people that he has sacrificed so much for, 
these people that God has dealt with him about, these people that he's been burdened about, these people that he's prayed for, these people that he's endeavored to lead into the promises of God, out of the land of sin, the land of Egypt, into the promised land. They are about this golden calf, dancing. And God only knows what all frivolity was going on. We do know that they were unclothed. They were naked. And uh, there's a lot of supposition that could go into that. But we know that there could have been perversion involved in all of this. And certainly these people were not worshiping the God that had brought them out of Egypt. The people were worshiping a God that was inanimate, a God that could not hear them, could not help them, could not respond to them. And they were dancing, and all of a sudden, upon Moses' appearance, and no doubt he was very distraught, and then a holy anger overcomes him. And he takes this law that he has just received, that has been written by the very finger of God upon these tablets, and he casts it upon the ground, and it breaks into pieces, symbolic of the fact that they have broken the laws that he is bringing to them, symbolic of the fact that they have displeased God and that they've been rebellious against God. And as I began to consider this story and begin to look a little deeper into this story, I thought about how that this parallels with some people's lives today. Many of us could identify with Moses and the emotion and the feeling that Moses is experiencing. Uh, We come to church on Sunday. We experience the power of God, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you thankful that God shows up around here? Aren't you thankful that God moves the way that he does? Aren't you thankful for the presence of God? Amen. Aren't you thankful for the anointing of the Holy Ghost and and something that is more than just dead, lifeless religion and routine and ritual, but we can feel and we can experience and we can know that God is in this place. Amen. I have seen visitors, guests walk into this house, and they have no history and past with Pentecost, but they come in. Maybe they don't know how to really articulate it. Maybe they don't even know how to really say it or describe it but they take knowledge of the fact that Jesus is here and that the presence of the Lord is in this place, and they feel that. They experience I hope to God that when people come to this place, they can distinguish a difference, amen, between, between the world and its kind of church and Pentecost and the power of God and the Spirit of the Lord being able to be experienced in this place. That's quite important, I believe, that we be able to come into the house of the Lord and feel the touch of God, experience the glory of the Lord. Amen. You folks want me to preach this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's important that the power of God be able to be experienced when we come into this place. It's important that we recognize that. And when we leave such visitations from the Lord and God has moved upon us and we've experienced something from God, we've experienced 
the refreshing power of God's Spirit. We feel renewed. We feel recharged and replenished and refreshed. And we feel clean and we feel pure after being in the presence of the Lord and absorbing the presence of the Lord. After lingering around the Pentecostal altar, there's nothing quite like it. You, you cannot experience anything like it in the world. You, you experience a renewing. You feel rejuvenated. You feel, no matter how you may have drug in here, you feel different upon leaving. You, you feel like I can face the challenges that are out there. I can face what is going on in this world. I, I can face uh, the, the tempter when he comes. I can face... Uh, uh, the devil and his attacks. Uh, I can face the world and all of its lewdness. And in fact, after receiving a touch from God and experiencing this, when we wake up on Monday morning, we go to work, and we're around people that are swearing. We're around folks that are cursing, folks that are uh, using vulgarity and they have filthy spirits, and they're ungodly, and they're vile, and they're talking about what they did over the weekend, and they're talking about how they were involved in all of their wickedness and evil and, and all of the junk and the filth and the corruption that they've been involved in. It should be, and it, I, I would guess is to the majority of us, it is offensive to us. It's repulsive to us. Amen. We've been in the presence of the Lord. We experienced the glory of God. We felt a touch of heaven. We've come into this house and we've, we've had an encounter with God. And, and uh, now we go back out of this world and it's enmity to us. And those of you maybe are in this house, you actually have to go home to unsaved family members that lack respect for your convictions and they cuss and they rail and they drink their alcohol and they tell their dirty jokes and they blow smoke in your face and they live immorally and, and they go about their life as if there is no God, that there is no repercussion for their sin. And it's offensive to us. It is something in our spirit that rises up. It's repulsive. Their perversion, their worldliness. We can't laugh at the world's jokes. It's not funny to us. We find nothing humorous about it. When, when the world uses their vulgarity, it, it, it causes something to ring and burn in our ears because... We don't want to hear that. We, we've come out of that. We don't want to have anything to do with that. We don't want to identify with that. We've been in the holy presence of God. And we don't want that to just be lifted so suddenly. We don't want to lose that. I don't know about you, but when I leave this place, I want to retain something. I want to carry something with me. I want to be able to walk in this 
Amen. I want to be able to enjoy this beyond just the hour and a half, two hours that I'm here on on Sunday evening. I, I want to be able to take something home. I want to bask in his glory come Monday. I want to still be experiencing when Tuesday night rolls around. And when Wednesday gets here, I realize that I need to be right back here in the presence of God, receiving it again. If I'm going to be an overcomer, if I'm going to live the life that I need to live, if I'm going to continue to be pure from this world that is so filthy and corrupt, can I just stop and say that if you can identify with this world, if you can mix and mingle with this world, if there's not something that rises up in you, if there's not a feeling of disgust that overcomes, I know sometimes you can't do anything about it. You can't really say anything, but you can't dismiss yourself. You don't have to be agreeable. You don't have to go along with it. There ought to be something within the heart of every child of God. That's not me. That's not what I like. That's not who I am. I'm different than that. I don't talk like that. I don't listen to that. Amen. I don't go along with that. Amen. I don't look at those things. I don't involve myself. You're talking about the latest movie. I don't know about the latest movie. You're talking about the latest rock song or country song. I don't know about those kind of things because I don't identify with that stuff. Come on, and I feel sorry for people that can that can coexist with two worlds, and you can swing back and forth one to another as if no problem. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. That's the spirit that I'm up against here today. That's the spirit that I plan to expose here today. That's the spirit that I'm preaching to here today. There ought to be something that disturbs you when you get out in this world and you have to walk among sinners. Amen. Though we love their soul, we don't identify with their sin and you're not going to win anybody by going along with it. Amen. By people that want to identify with that. They want to be easy and soft on that. Amen. The best way to keep yourself undefiled from the world and sin and carnality is to stay in the presence of God. To absorb as much as this as you possibly can at every opportunity that you can. I'm, I'm, I'm literally astonished. And I'm just going to be myself today. I'm going to preach what the Lord has for me. You may like me when I'm done. You may not like me when I'm done. But you can say that he heard from God and he is prayerfully concerned about some things. Amen? But I am astonished at people's casual, cavalier attitude towards the house of God, towards being in the house of God. You know, we think we come to church a lot, but the reality is we go other places a whole lot more. And we spend very little of our week here in the house of the Lord in comparison to where we are the rest of the time. And if that is to compensate for ever the barrage of things that come against us in this world, then there's very little that is being poured into us, precious little that is able to be received in comparison with all that we're having to confront out here in this world. And the day is getting darker, folks.
the day is getting darker. Amen. The lights are going out. The sun is going down. People better wake up. I said people better wake up. And some of you in this room better wake up. Because a year from now, you're not going to be sitting on these pews if the Lord tarries, if you don't wake up. You hear this preacher. I'm telling you what the Lord has shown me. There's some of you that won't be sitting on these pews a year from now if you don't wake up. I don't believe in a once saved, always saved. Eternal security doctrine. I don't believe because you were born on Pentecostal altars. You were brought to church from the very beginning. You were dedicated to the Lord that you some way get a pass. Matter of fact, I think that more is required of you than the rest. Because the Bible teaches us too much is given, much is required. So if that's your attitude because I'm generationally a part of this church that I'm automatically entitled to certain things, you need to get rid of that attitude. Because I or anybody else really feels like that is of any consequence. Praise the Lord. I'm going to preach today. Amen. I may not preach tonight, but I'm going to preach today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because there is a spirit and an attitude that is gripping a hold of people. And people are justifying themselves in their carnality. They're justifying themselves in associating and being so connected to the world. Amen. The Bible tells me, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if a person loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can you say praise God? We got to love this. We got to love this. We got to get this in our heart. Praise God. And I preach my share of faith and encouragement and inspiration around here so I, I, I don't feel like I have to backtrack one little bit. I do my share of preaching people up and encouraging people along. There's probably no, no pastor around that does any more of that, uh, preaching people to a place of, of feeling like you can make it and you can go on. But there comes a time that we got to preach the word. we got to preach, thus saith the word of the Lord. we got to preach with a burden. we got to preach... Uh, that there's some things that need to be corrected in our lives. There's some areas of our lives that we need to adjust. You got to stay full of the Holy Ghost if I'm not going to be influenced by all of that. In Numbers chapter number 20, we find a different story altogether about Moses. Now Moses has been dealing and living among carnal people, complainers and backsliders backbiters and stiff necks and ungodly folks and it's begun to wear on him until now he doesn't respond appropriately to God before he was in the presence of the Lord and this was repulsive to him but now he has a hard time being obedient to God because he's been around carnal folks so much and he's let them wear on him and wear him down emotionally and mentally and perhaps even physically, to the point 
that he responds inappropriately and his response cost him the promised land, cost him the promise of God. He was not able, he was not permitted to go into that place that God had intended for him to go when he smote the rock when he should have spoken to it. He responded the wrong way. This is entirely different than how Moses responded in the past when he had been in the presence of the Lord. He didn't respond so well toward the people, but when he was in the presence of carnal people too long, he didn't respond too well towards the Lord. These are two different worlds that that are contradicting one another. And the danger is, is when people can traffic in both of them, when people can blur the lines and they can travel and get along and, and learn how to speak the world's language and learn how to speak church language. They can be accepted. They can relate to. They can identify with. They can be Pentecost on sun, Sunday and something else on Monday. The world no longer offends them. In fact, preaching offends them. When a preacher preaches anything that is maybe interpreted by them to be a little harsh and to be a little strong, they wonder in their minds, is that really, they may not vocalize, but they wonder in their minds, is that really necessary? I'm wanting to be powder puffed today. I, I want somebody to encourage me a little bit. Amen. And as I've already stated, we do a lot of the preaching about encouragement. We do a whole lot of preaching around here about worship and being inspired and faith. And, and you can make it. So I, I, I believe you hang around, you're going to get a steady diet of that. And I feel like that is necessary in the hour that we're living in. But I'm going to tell you the Word of God, amen, sometimes has to pierce into our inner being. It has to, has to divide asunder some things. It has to speak to where we're living. It has to talk to us. That mirror of the Word of God has to be held up before us, and we have to be reminded that there may be some adjustments that we have to make, and there may be some situations that we have to repair in our own life and our own makeup if we're going to make it. Because if I can get comfortable in the world. And if the world is familiar to me and I, I can walk in this world and it doesn't bother me, the increasing sin and darkness that is upon this world, it no longer, I, it's no longer foreign to me. We used to sing this song that said, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond. You know why people could say my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blues? Because they didn't have much down here. A little bit different than today. A little bit different than today. Most of us drove up in here into the church parking lot. We drove up in automobiles, and most of us probably came in two automobiles per family. A little different than walking to church, a little different than driving one Model T and bumping down the road and barely getting it here, a little different than yesteryear. Matter of fact, these accommodations that we have here today are quite different than they had 
50 or 75 years ago. When this thing started, it was under brush harbors. When this thing began, it was in ramshackled buildings. Most of them didn't have heat or air. Certainly didn't have padded pews. And I'm not saying we ought to go back to that. But we better not lose that same homesickness that they had. That this world is not what I'm living for. This world is not my home. I'm not comfortable living here. Uh, there's something that I'm not comfortable. This can't be right. This, this is not what I want to be. This is not what I want to be a part of. This is not what I want to live with and stay with and make a part of my life. No, I'm looking to be with Jesus. I'm looking to make it home. I want to be saved. This world is not my home. But it's become home to a lot of people. Scary thing is, is some people can make transition so easily between these two worlds, between the world and the church. You see this with Lot. Scripture says of Lot that Abraham gave him a choice. He said, you go one way, I'll go the other. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham had a promise from God that I'll be blessed no matter where I go. So I don't have to be overly concerned. I don't have to I don't have to worry about which way I go here as long as I am following God. He's going to take care of me. And so scripture says that he looked and according to his eyes he could see the appeal of the well-watered plains of Jordan. And he went and chose that direction. He went towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitched his tent in that direction. And there he lived for a long enough time to have children and those children to have families and marry themselves. And the scripture says that Sodom, it, it bothered him originally. He was... It says it this way. It said it vexed his righteous soul, the perversion, the ungodliness, the sin, the debauchery, the sacrilege that was going on in Sodom disturbed him originally. But after living there for a little while, having his family there for a little while, he began to get along with it. He began to, not necessarily am I going to be a partaker, but I'll learn to accept it and get along with it. Sin, unnatural affections, perversion, ungodliness, a lot like America today. And the scripture says that when the angel of the Lord came to him and said, it's time to flee this city, you listen to what the Bible said. It said that Lot lingered still in Sodom. He said, I'll just linger here. I'll just, I'll just stay here a little while longer. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wait until I see that there's, there's hardly any time left, and then I'll make my escape. Amen. He was, he, was so, he was so involved and so entangled by this point that it was no longer as repulsive to him 
as it has been in the past. It initially disturbed him. It initially vexed him. It initially caused concern and caused something to rise up in him and said, this isn't right. But after a while, he was able to linger there. Able to live there. Until he seen there was no possible way to stay. Complacency. Complacency. It's time to move. It's time to respond. It's time to obey God. It's time to be sensitive to the Spirit. But Lot lingered. What about Balaam? A prophet, a man of God, supposedly. Man that God had spoken to. Man that had been in the presence of the Lord. But for a little bit of riches, Barak said, why don't you prophesy these things? and Why don't you curse the people of God? And you know how God tried to keep him from going against him. He, he caused his beast to burden the donkey that he was riding on to speak to him. He caused an angel to stand in the path in a narrow place and try to keep him from it. But nevertheless, Balaam goes on in his own self-will to do exactly what God has instructed him not to do. And yet, he can pray the prayer that I want to die the death of the righteous. I want to be counted with the people of God. I want to be a part of the church. But yet, I want to be a part of the world. I want to live over here. But yet, I want to be identified with the church. I want to be identified with the people of God. There's a danger in all of that. God, help me to not get comfortable and complacent with the world and its surroundings and learn how to live in it and learn how to abide with it and learn how to get along with it until finally I start agreeing with it. And it starts breaking me down one little bit at a time until there's no difference between. There's no line of demarcation. There's no wall, if you will, between me and the world. What about Samson? Samson anointed the hand of God on him, favored. You talk about exploits. Could slay a lion with his own bare hands. Could slay a thousand Philistines all by himself. Could set foxes' tails on fire and set them loose and burn down the cities of his enemies. but he kept traveling between, kept trafficking between two worlds. He could feel the anointing and the power of God. He, 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 he no doubt was so thrilled every time the hand of God came upon him. He could feel that spirit and that strength come upon him. He was able to do things that he knows that no other man is able to do. But yet there's a draw by night to go down to Delilah's house. And there he puts his head in the lap of that harlot and she tells him sweet little lullabies and he divulges everything. And he feels so bad about it. He gets up where he is and he goes and he grabs 
the city gates and he carries them up a hill. He's able. It's all right. I can still feel the power of God. I can still feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I can still talk in tongues. I can. I can still get under the presence of the Lord. I can still. I can still feel that anointing as it comes. I'm going to tell you just because you can come down and talk in tongues a little bit, and just because you can feel the power of God, it doesn't mean that you're all right. It doesn't mean that everything's okay. It doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you're right. Amen. Because you have got to get this more than just some superficial experience. You've got to get this down to the deep of your heart. You better get this sinking down in your spirit. Uh, amen. It's not enough just to have a little visitation from God and go out and do whatever you so please and involve yourself in the filth of this world and the sin of this world and feel like you're all right because you can run back to church. what the Bible talks about when it talks about making the cross of none effect. You can leave a harlot's house. You can carry the gates of the city all in the same night, all in the same span of a few hours, not much time between. Amen. God, it's got to be something better. There's got to be something deeper. It's, this Holy Ghost got to be greater than that. It's got to be more power. The real Holy Ghost got to be more powerful than that. It's got to have a bigger effect on people than that. I said it's got to have a more profound impact upon people than that. Amen. What I'm talking about doesn't leave you. Amen. Where you can just walk out and just, just join right back in. I'm talking about something that has leaves residue on you for weeks. Amen. Such an encounter with God that you say, you know what? I can't take this and defile it. I can't take this and, 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 and enjoy the pleasures of sin. I can't take this. Amen. And walk into those places and view those things and go there and talk like that. I can't laugh at that joke. I can't listen to that music. I, I can't go there. I can't be a part of that because I got something holy on the inside of me. Because you can still feel God doesn't mean that God is justifying your sin. It's because God's merciful. Because God wants to forgive and he wants to restore. Amen. Oh, praise God. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Let's talk to him right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what I feel right now. I feel like some of you are so fixated on Hollywood in this church, you couldn't hear the voice of God if it was pounding like a hammer in here. What you need to do is get rid of that television. You need to get those movies out of your house. If you want God to work for you, if you want prayer to be effectual for you, if you want God to be able to hear you, amen, you better get rid of that stuff because it's vexing your soul to hell. 
say whatever you want to say. You've justified it for years, and you're going to keep on justifying it. You just remember that a preacher got up and told you what the Lord has impressed upon my heart today, that if you want prayers to be answered, and if you want God to work, you're going to have to dismiss that stuff from your life because the two cannot coexist. You cannot be godly and veg out on Hollywood. You cannot be a child of God and be caught up with all of that stuff. It's enmity. It's just what I've been talking about here today. We entertain ourselves with the world and we wonder why we can't get in touch with God or why you cannot live for God consistently. Why you're up and down like an elevator. Get quiet. Man, that's all right. I still feel the Holy Ghost. I still feel the touch of God here. Hallelujah. You talk about stalemate in the church. That spirit will stalemate a church quicker than anything else. You talk about shut revival down. You talk about shut the blessings of God down and throttle it back. I'll tell you what will do it is you get involved with all of that mess and you start you start vegging out on all that mess and it'll mess up your whole marriage. It'll mess up your life and your family. It'll cause you all kinds of troubles and problems because you can't watch Main Street Sodom. You cannot watch immorality on display. You cannot listen to that vulgarity and it not impact you. Now, there's some things we don't have a choice in, but what I'm talking about right now, we have a choice. It's our home. It's our life. Amen. It, this is my domain, and I need to take authority over it and, and quit playing footsies with the devil and realize that it's destroying my marriage. It's destroying my home. the truth it's the truth i don't care if the whole nation of pentecostals take on the television and say hey we can all have them we'll all get in this boat together you're looking at one preacher that's not going to do it because i don't feel like it's godly i don't feel like it's right i don't think it's permissible with the scripture And until I die, I plan on preaching against it. So you might as well get used to it. If you're going to go to church here, that's one thing that's going to be talked about because it's still wrong if it ever was wrong. That filth has always been against the things of God. And the little bit of good you say that is on that junk, amen, is not worth. That's like saying that that 99.9% of rat poisoning is power building food for rats. So it must be okay. That's what decon, 99.9% of those little pellets is is food. But it's that other 1% that kills them. Well, I, I do this and I do that. What are you going to do when your flesh is weak? You better take away every opportunity. Somebody said, well, the Internet, it's worse. Yeah, it is worse. I agree with you. It is worse. But you've got to point and click. Amen. And if I had a problem with it, I, I'd get rid of it because it wouldn't be worth me going to hell. I said if I had a problem with it, I'd get rid of it because I wouldn't want to go to hell over that. 
Praise the Lord. I wouldn't want to go to hell over anything. And you might be able to get by with it, but if it would send me to hell, I don't want to be within 10 yards of it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And since I'm the watchman on the wall of this church, I'm telling you, this is one thing that you better beware of. You better understand. You better take a stand against it. I'm going to show you one of the most soul-stirring scriptures that I've read recently. 1 Samuel chapter number 19 and verse 9. Speaking of King Saul and the evil spirit of the Lord was upon Saul. As he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped away out of, the, out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. That was that night. Turn the page. Verse 21, and when it was told Saul, this is the next day, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then when he also to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Shaku, and he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him. I thought just a few chapters ago it said the evil spirit was on him. And the Spirit of God, just a few verses later, was upon him also. And he went on and he prophesied. And he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? We can't get this. I mean, he's vexed with an evil spirit. He's throwing javelins. He's trying to kill God's anointed. And then... All in the same 24-hour period, he's over here prophesying till the people say, is Saul among the prophets? Confused. You see, Saul had gotten so used to traveling between two worlds that he could not even distinguish the lines between the two anymore. It was easy for him to be vexed and an evil spirit come upon him. But as soon as that kind of passed, he could go back and act like that he was all right. Act like before the people that he had as much anointing as anybody else had. He could prophesy with the rest of them. You think these guys are big? You think Samuel's all of that because he could prophesy? I could prophesy too. The danger of trafficking between two worlds until finally those lines are so blurry that at the end of his days he disguises himself and he goes to a witch's house to seek counsel and to try to get an answer. Hey Amen. So I'll never do that. I'll never go that far. 
You keep, you keep messing with this hypocrisy stuff. You keep floating back and forth, and you see what happens. Let's reach to heaven right now again. God, I've done my best. I preach what I feel that you laid upon my heart last night. I love this people. I love every soul that's in this building. I know I don't love them as much as you do because you died for them. But God, I'm praying that you'd stir some people's hearts today. I pray, God, people that haven't been stirred up in a long time would get stirred up. I'm worried about some people here this morning, God. I haven't been able to get it off my mind this morning. I'm worried about folks that are so casual about your presence that are so unmoved and so complacent and so calloused and so okay with sin, so okay with carnality. God, this is your church. I pray you'd reach into this room right now and talk to some of their hearts. I pray you'd deal with some people. I pray you'd convict some folks that hadn't known what conviction is in a long time. Oh, God, these are good people. These are people, Lord, that you died for, that you shed your blood for, that you want to save. These are folks, God, that need to make heaven. They got families, they got souls. Some of them had children over there in the Sunday school right now. And decisions made today is going to affect those babies. Choices made in this service is going to have an impact upon those children. So God, would you give the altar call today? Would you talk to somebody's heart? Would you lead them to an altar? Would you lead them to a place of sincere repentance? Would you lead them to a place of pouring their heart out before you? God, would you give some of us the courage to say, Lord, there's some changes need to be made in my life. There's some adjustments that need to be made. Your word said we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There's no way that we can just be whatever with it. There's no way that we can just be casual with it. But 
God, give us the fear. That means respect for the things of the Lord, for the Word of God that is going to judge us in the end. Hallelujah. 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 Is there anybody? Is there anybody that would like to pray? There ought to be tears wept this morning. There ought to be prayers of repentance prayed this morning. There ought to be people that say, God, soften my heart to your word because I want to be right. I cannot afford to be lost. Hallelujah. 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 